Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host this week, Ian Fisher, and we've got kind of a special show lined up for you. We will talk in our last segment on finance about tuition reciprocity programs and how students might think about attending public universities outside of their home state. So you want to stick around for that. Uh, But we've devoted our first two segments to our guest today, uh, who is the current Dean of Admission and Financial Aid at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm excited to welcome him here to the show. We've got Fumio Sugihara. Hi, Fumio. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you here. Uh, When I was first starting my admissions career at Reed College a while ago, you were the Director of Admission of one of the other colleges in that five college Northwest consortium, University of Puget Sound. You've also worked for uh, Marlboro College, uh, recently closed in Vermont, but another small liberal arts college, Bennington College, Juniata College, uh, Bowdoin. And so the place I want to start with this question of you is, what's with all the small colleges, man? Like, why why are you so excited about the type of learning that happens at these institutions? Well, because I'm a you know, I'm a product. I went to I went to Bowdoin, and I was kind of this uh, kid out of New Jersey who went to a a really good public high school, but really didn't quite understand small colleges. And my first two years at Bowdoin was just I, I'll admit it was a real struggle, just trying mm-hmm. to figure out what is happening. And then in my sophomore year, it just clicked, and um, you know. I had these faculty members who were like, why aren't you studying this? Or why aren't you doing that? I'm like, I don't know. I just, (laughs) I'm just trying to get through college. And, um, you know, so the faculty were super invested and they were pushing me in new ways. Like, you know, saying, well, you should do this philosophy course, or you should do this gender studies course. And, um, and so once it, it settled in, I really dedicated myself to my studies, um, and 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 then I, I really didn't look back, and I feel that that experience, um, you know, really, I, I I will say it, it transformed me in ways that I'm still, you know, I still apply those lessons today, and I, I'm excited by new questions and new challenges, and I think because of that liberal arts experience, you know, and I think some people see big challenges and it's kind of intimidating. And, and I see them and I think students who, you know, like yourself probably go and see like, wow, this is an exciting and interesting question. Um, and so that perspective and orientation is, um, is what I look for in these small colleges. And I feel like it's pretty unique to smaller institutions. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. And, you know, my experience at Reed, I think, was marked by that that same sort of connection with faculty members and opportunities to explore in different spaces and a general uncertainty about what I was doing for much <laughs> of the time that I was there. Uh, you know, I always kind of say, like, I wish I could do that over again, knowing what I know now. But I think part of the point is that you're you're figuring out along the way. That's that's 
part of the experience of the college is feeling uncomfortable and then developing that that confidence uh, as time goes on. Um, it's a yeah, little bit I, of a harder thing to present to a prospective student, however, a high school student, yeah. to talk to them about this discomfort, to talk to them about the challenges that they might experience in college. How have you come to talk about that opportunity for students that are considering Hampshire or have considered many of the other colleges you've worked at? Well, I, I guess I first start to say, like, I start with the fun factor. Um, okay. And and because there, there's good. so much, there's so much about this process, like the process of admission, um, like even the word, it's like, it's like a horrible word sometimes when you think about it. Yeah. So much of it is about putting the student on the spot and, and almost taking away a sense of ownership. Um, and so I start with that. No, this should be enjoyable. Like, and 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 being challenged and being made uncomfortable doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It could be this incredible experience. And so, you know, I really try to get students to focus on the experience um, and focus on what they hope to achieve. And and again, that that's a little bit different than saying, well, the outcome is this. Yeah. You know, I I don't want I, the outcome is fine. Like, go to college, you'll get a great outcome. Like, that's studied all through, but. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want to be? You know, what is it that you want to be prepared for? And how is it that you want to meet the world? You know, those are questions that I think, and, and you ask students those questions and it's like, yeah, like that's exciting. That's energizing. Um, but yeah. if it's about, well, uh, you know, your SAT scores are this and your grade point average needs to be this. And, you know, if it's, we move into this kind of the language of rigor, you know, about doing, let's well, say, work too hard for you to get in, you might get in and you'll be fine. But if we think about how kind of um, inaccurate and one, how, how un unfriendly that guidance is from, a, from uh, just a personal perspective, and then you move it to a pedagogic experience, a pedagogic perspective, it's like, wow, we're basically saying, don't go to college. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to say, like, first, college should have fun. Like you should have fun. Like there's nothing wrong with fun. And fun sometimes means challenging yourselves in ways that one, you didn't expect because it's, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. And a part of that also is preparation because we don't know what, how life is going to unfold, you know? And so meet your challenges with a certain confidence and a, and a certain kind of inquiry and questioning. And that, it's not necessarily going to make things easier, um, but it can definitely make it more enjoyable. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, there's, there is that kind of questioning confidence. And one of the things that I, you know, took away from my read experience as, as an outcome to your point is you're not going to come away with a clear sense of exactly what you're going to do next, but you're going to have the confidence that you've got the skills to figure it out, that, that you get to explore and find that right fit for yourself. There's no, you know, pre-admissions major, right? When you go into an admissions career, <laughs> exactly. you kind of find your way into that space. And uh, and so it's it's cool to think about how people will take something like you were a women's studies and environmental studies major as an undergrad, and now you're a dean of admission and financial aid. There is not a direct line between those two things, but they are connected. And the experience of your education is connected as well. I'm struck as you're presenting in this this way that it, it really sounds like a conversation you're having with a student 
And I'm wondering in the 20 years that you've been, 20 plus years you've been in admission, have you seen a greater role taken by parents uh, in this process where the conversation is less between a student and an institution and more between parents as stakeholders and parents asking questions about outcomes? How has that shifted over time? And, and what do you conceive of the responsibility of institutions to, to parents? Yeah, I, I, I think parents are definitely much more involved. And there's evidence in um, in a lot of ways of that. Um, I, But I think one of the things that we need to be careful of is that we, we take parent involvement as less student involvement. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not sure that's the case. I think yeah, that's a that's a mindset on the part of admissions professionals. And it's one thing I say, no, no, like students might not be engaged in the way that I was used to them being engaged with 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't mean they're not engaged. Those are really different concepts. And we have to be really mindful of that. So, so yes, parents are more involved because the price point is um is 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 really high and and we are asking a lot of families it's estimated family contribution because we're not asking that of the student we're asking that of the family and so as tuition has increased well that expectation has increased and that dollar value has increased and we can get into the i mean there's a whole money side but but again in just very rudimentary perspectives that has changed the way that parents view their investment. So there's the parental or the family unit um, investment and the student investment in their education. And those have really changed. And and to some degree, the financial on the part of the parent has, um, for many of our families, has become much more. Um, And so, so yeah, parents are involved much more than, than I'm used to. And sometimes it's very uncomfortable because there are those families, there are those parents who, or those guardians who, uh, kind of sideline their student. Um, and I feel my role is to acknowledge that that's coming from a place of, it's not that the parent is trying to sideline them, but they're trying to get information that helps to con- contextualize this process yeah. relative to the expense. So one, understand that, but also to kind of say, hey, hey, uh, you over there, the student, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's come back here and let, let's, let's try to get all of us on the same page so that the the process is one where both the parent, the student is um, is is achieving their needs, um, which are very very real. Um, so I, I feel like sometimes we, you know, there are the helicopter parents or the tiger parent, whatever whatever we want to call them at this time of year. Um, but I think most parents are just really concerned, and they yeah. have a, you know they have this tremendous love for their child. And they have this tremendous responsibility that happens to be financial. And they're trying to understand that. And so, you know, so I I, I tend to try to be more forgiving <laughs> about the, the parent involvement, but but I do need to note it is it is real. Um, it, it does seem to be more intense when you get into the more selective colleges. And yeah. this is one of the things I've appreciated about my past few gigs yeah is is that you know so it's you know there is a pressurization that happens when we 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 spend a lot of time talking about these 25 colleges when there's many 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 more that do wonderful work and actually offer 
pretty reasonable price points as well. So, you know, I, I try to be forgiving, but it, you know, there, there is, the, they're always the parents. And I say, they're the kind of stump the chump, you know, like you're up there and they're just asking questions. They want to catch just, you. Just to stump yeah. you. And it's like, yeah, is this really helpful? Yeah. Um, and, and so of course, but you know, that, that's, that's, there, there are always those individuals in any context. And, you know, we have to be able to, as educators and as professionals, we have to keep that into context and realize that our greatest service isn't necessarily to those individuals, but to a broader group. And we, we best meet them with a understanding and kind of thoughtfulness and not kind of, um, uh, reducing them to the, to, to generalized categories of parent, student or helicopter or whatever. Yeah, I think understanding, especially the place that it comes from, whether it's concern about financial investment, concern about a student's ability to be successful. I think with you know institutions like the ones where you have worked, the ones you have represented, there's much more independence in many ways. There's much more opportunity for exploration. And I think that is both an opportunity and also concerning uh, in some cases because <laughs> the student has to make the most of it in many respects. Yeah. I do find, you know, in my experience, the students that have considered a lot of smaller liberal arts colleges in many ways are given that space by their parents, either because they know something about those institutional experiences. Um, my parents are products of Hampshire College, where my mom went, uh, and uh, my dad went to Wake Forest, but his first job as a professor was at Amherst. And so the two of them really believed in small colleges and gave that space to me to, to find that opportunity to explore. And I think you find that with these small institutions. And I'm, I'm wondering, just as students are exploring these different spaces, especially given your perspective as a representative of many schools that are quite similar, how do you encourage students to find the differences, to find the space where they're going to be a best fit. Is that even an idea that you embrace or is it one where you kind of say, nah, fits, fits out. We're kind of thinking about, you know, students can fit just about anywhere. It's more about thinking about opportunities to grow when they get there. What's your take on that choice problem for students? That is a very well-framed question. Um, and it's a, it's a really interesting one. And uh, clearly you sat on my side of the fence um, because I think it's fine for families and students to talk about fit. I, I actually think it's a little, uh, I think it's a little ridiculous when we as colleges talk about fit. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I actually try to get my staff to say, no, no, no. Think about the student and think about, are they going to get the best possible experience? You know, and, and, and are they going to achieve the success they're looking for? Like, don't think about fit. Think about, is the student going to achieve what they need? from this um, because fit in that regard is way too narrow from the side of the institution. It really is. It's really setting up um, archetypes and, and it's kind of locking us into this very, um, this very stuck model, um, which puts up all sorts of barriers to all sorts of students. So, um, so I tend to, I do look at fit a little bit differently, um, but but I think it's fine for the students because the students know who they are. Yeah. The students have a sense of their identity, of who they might want to be. They might not share that with the world. They might not be ready yet, but they have these instincts and these thoughts and these ideas and, and a certain clarity. They might not have all the check marks and like the cost benefit analysis that we learn over our 
whatever 40 years on this planet. Um, but they have this perspective. And so they know they're fit. Um, we, we get an application. <laughs> like we get like, we get an application and a transcript and the recognitions and like, yeah. we don't know these students. I mean, I don't, and I don't want to disparage what we do in our work, but to know a student to assign the fit at the specificity that we think we're doing in admissions offices, I think that's kind of false. Yeah. Encouraging a student to trust who they are, to trust their instincts, to think about a place in nuanced ways so that they can say, am I a fit for this? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I actually ask students to think between the lines, you know, like um, colleges, like people are aspirational. Yeah. You know, like, you know, yeah. and, and we use aspirational language and we do all those things. I say, well, go to their website, spend a little time, read the fears, pull out like 10 phrases or concepts or it's like 10 things that you think are their aspirational language. Like, who does this college want to be? If it was a person, who does it want to be? Um, and then look at those and say, is that what I want to be? How does that align with who I am? You know, and again, that's kind of cutting through the advertising speak and it's kind of looking at the context in which the college wants to plant itself and saying, how does this mesh with me? Like it's saying, try it on, you know, try on this language. You know, how would you, it doesn't have to be 100%. I mean, it, it never is, but try it on, see how it feels. And, you know, that's a great way of cutting through the clutter. Um, and I shouldn't say what I, I shouldn't say clutter. <laughs> Cutting through our great marketing, <laughs> <laughs> and and fair and enough, seeing, yeah, and, good and save. Seeing, um, and seeing things that uh, from a different angle, but also continuing to put themselves at the center of that um, that perspective building. Well, I I think that's so right on the idea about um, colleges being aspirational and and having a, potentially a goal, a direction where they're heading, and especially now. Um, yeah. where there is so much potential change. You know, there's this conversation about the enrollment cliff. There are lots of conversations about the cost of education. There are conversations about what 21st century education should look like. Um, and and I think that colleges are starting to think about those ideas as they move through time and are trying yeah. to set themselves up in a way to progress in many respects. And so, you know, talking to the alum who graduated from Hampshire in you know 1985 is probably not representative <laughs> of what Hampshire is going to be for the next four years, and it's really important to think about what that will look like. And yeah, I'd love to put a pin in that and come back because I do want to talk about your time at Hampshire and drill a little bit more into the experiences you've had in the two years you've been at the college. So we'll take a break here and come on back and talk a little bit about enrollment at, at Hampshire these days. Awesome. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, We are currently having a great conversation with Fumio Sugihara, who is the Dean of Admission and Financial Aid at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. And if you are someone who keeps up on the news in higher education, you know that that Hampshire has been somewhat front and center in many respects um, as perhaps the best known institution that has struggled with some enrollment uh, of recent, in, in recent years. Um, and Fumio, you're actually coming previously from Marlboro, who closed and, and became a part of Emerson College, which is another mm-hmm. great small uh, small school. And I wanted to, I mean, I could just ask you, like, w- the interest in having this opportunity to work for institutions that are trying to meet these enrollment goals that are, I, I don't want to say struggling, because I think there's a sense in which their mission is is clear, but there's also a need to put bodies in seats in classrooms. And that's part yeah. of the job of an enrollment professional. What has drawn you to Hampshire? What do you see as the challenges and, and potential opportunities uh, as a lead of admission at an institution like Hampshire? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's, I think for me, and I've been at this for, you know, over 20 years um, and I've been at these incredible colleges. Like there's a hands down, like I've been so fortunate to work at every college I've been at. Um, and they've all been just incredible experiences. Um, but what I would say that's kind of brought me further along is kind of where are the, where are the places that are most creative and, mm-hmm. and not creative in the sense of even artistic, but creative in terms of creating new information, creating new ideas, giving the students the freedom to explore and to feel that they can do this, um, that they can fail. 
you know, like that, 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 that's all right. And, and, and so I've kind of moved more and more towards that, that idea. I've been searching for this and Marlboro, as you mentioned, Marlboro closed, but to me was such a, a unique place. And, and I, I felt passionately that Marlboro needed to stay, stay around, but I knew signing on that we might not make it. Um, but again, it was such, it was that I saw so much creative energy and, and output there. Um, I knew that Hampshire was a place like Marlboro um, in terms of the open cur- the curriculum, the self-designed curriculum, no grades, this really close uh, collaboration with faculty, um, this large culminating division three project or final project. Um, and so, you know, when, when the opportunity opened, I was, I will admit, I was a little like, mm, Hampshire's kind of not in great shape. Like, do I want to go from this place right. to that? I was like, right. I was a little nervous to say the least. Um, but I guess what, when I sat down with the president, Ed Wingenbach, he said something that really struck me. He said, um, and I, I'm not going to say it exactly, but he, he basically said, how do we create a college that's expressly for students today? <laughs> you know, like, what would that look like? And, and, and we literally, you know, since I've been here, that's exactly what we've set out to do. Mm. And, and to me, that was fascinating because what we have are, we have basically iterations of the college of 600 years ago. <laughs> that's been, that's been going on. And, and here we say, what are, what is it that we're going to do today for the students of today so that they can impact their communities positively? And, and, and so on top of being this place of great creativity, there's also this incredible motivation to be an institution of contemporary, to meet contemporary needs. Um, and I, I just, you know, and I was like, okay, like once, once that was on the table, I was like, okay, I got to, <laughs> I got to be a part of this. Um, so, so that's what, that's what happened and, and what, what kind of brought me to this point. I, I was doing some research and just reading ahead and I wanted to pull a, you know, a couple of press clippings and I was drawn to this one paragraph. It's just an intro paragraph of news about the enrollment. Uh, it came back from, from August from masslive.com. And it's the first paragraph just says, when classes began this week at Hampshire, the experimental Amherst school will welcome its largest incoming class since 2018, a significant milestone for a college that was threatened with closure just a few years ago. Now there are a lot of things to celebrate there. I think you know it's it's a you've got an incoming class that is significantly larger. It's a school that is rebounding in many in many ways from uh, a year when there I think were just thirteen students coming in for an incoming class. The thing I most gravitate towards is the term experimental, mm-hmm. and I know that you know having worked at Reed and having gone to school at Reed, that sometimes there are these labels that get applied that don't necessarily resonate with the current version of the school or don't feel like they are consistent with the direction of the school. And the thing I wanted to ask you is that sense of experimental experimentalism, is that something that Hampshire wants to embrace? Or is that something that is an old term that you want to kick to the curb in some respects? It, it sounds like there is some experimentation that's happening between the president and you as you're talking about moving forward. But how do you think about that that label as it's applied to the institution you represent? Oh, I think it's I think it's totally accurate. It's it's awesome. it's 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 our space. It's you know, Hampshire was designed to challenge the higher ed landscape. And back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, 
we were, this place was remarkable. And it, it was really wild. Like some of the things that are, we do in, in, in higher education now that we take for granted, they were started here. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things we asked ourselves is what have we done lately? <laughs> and 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 so no i mean and that question is in in relation to the experimenting the innovating mm-hmm. like what if what what is it that what is it that we want to contribute today um and so we still have our narrative evaluations we still have we no grades we still have our um you know there are no majors it's everything self designed we have our division system 1 2 and 3 3 with this large culminating project but we we also have added to that this idea of you know what are what are our responsibilities in the face of climate change you know that's a that's a critical question that we're asking ourselves like um how do we dismantle white supremacy um how can tr- how can art heal trauma um you know what is truth in a post truth narrative we have these these questions that are infusing the curriculum and that are really grounded in what our students are seeing and being, and not seeing, let's be honest, like being inundated with. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it, it's, you, you, you know, and, 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 and how is it that they can craft a personal response and a community response? How is it that they, as philosophers or biologists or um, geneticists or economists, how is it that they can, um, assess these things as they need to personally, or if they want to take it into their fields of study or their careers or their practices. Um, so, so we framed our education around these really pressing contemporary issues. And it's not to say that we're going to come up with answers. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I wish that's I could okay. be so bold, so bold as to say that, but we, it's, it's not We're, but, but we do believe that we offer a collaborative framework and the independence um, for students to dig into these uh, issues um, and 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 contribute to the knowledge and the resource that exists, um, and to hopefully come away with inspiration to impact their communities in ways to help us navigate those. So so yeah, experimenting. I mean, that's a pretty big experiment right there. Um, and, and, I, and, and, and I do think that that's what's excited students um, in part about what we're doing because it's, it's on top of already being different to add this other level um, really speaks to this generation's um, you know, urge for kind of meaningfulness. Um, and, and, I, and, and so I think we've, we've, we've kind of hit on this and, and again, this is more of our nature. So I don't want to make it seem like we're some these like really brilliant strategists yeah. um, because it, it's, it's more of who we are, but it seems like the time is right for Hampshire. You know, this is what, you know, what students are looking for. Yeah. And you, and I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, if you have this view that you're going to go to college to, you know, figure out the thing or to find an answer, I think in many ways you're missing the point that it's an opportunity to wrestle with tough questions, to engage with people who come from different backgrounds, to feel challenged, to be made to feel uncomfortable. And what you can do is launch out of that space and find whatever your trajectory is towards a career, towards a particular, um, you know, area where you want to commit your life. But you've got those experiences to fall back on. You know what it's like to deal with challenging 
questions. You know how to engage in a space. And it's so interesting. My mom, you know, this example, she was at Hampshire in the seventies and the time when it was doing a lot. And she went and became a biologist and she's in the national Academy of the sciences and has many way has had a fairly conventional scientific career at the highest level, where I think a lot of people would say, Hampshire, no majors. How could you do anything with that? Yes, we can do anything that you want to do. You could be a documentary filmmaker. You could join the national Academy. You could be an actor. There are so many different ways that you can come out of that space. And I think it's a really interesting proposition to potentially hand to students, given that you're so close to the incoming class and, and looking ahead to where Hampshire is headed. What's the general vibe that you're getting from these new 270 some odd incoming freshmen? What's their energy like? What is What are they talking about? How do they think about their Hampshire experience and how are they framing it? I think they're, um, well, well, one, actually, it's funny. I Admissions is so weird. Like you admit the yes. students and then they like, they kind of like disappear. They kind of like forget about you. And yeah. then like they, they show up, like they start coming into your office and, and you start, but it, it, there's a lack, right? Like when they get here, they're like, I'm on my own. Like, I'm going to figure this out. And and then, you know, like they're like, oh, I have a financial aid question. <laughs> you know, they start to, they start to trickle in. So it's a weird, it's always weird like that. So the first things I heard though, were from the faculty. Cool. Um, and they were just kind of, like beside themselves with how engaged they were and how just they were excited to be here and to be a part of this thing. You know, so they were, students were signing up for what we call our learning collaboratives, which are aligned with those four questions. And, um, you know, and, and they were just seeing this incredible amount of activity and energy and, and kind of um, positivity. And, and again, we've been in this, we were in a few pretty rough years where people yeah. weren't, there was a lot of uncertainty. And so I think for our faculty, just to have these students here who were so enthusiastic, it was just like this, like just deep breath of like, oh, thank you. Um, and then the students are funny. I mean, and, and I mean, I like, they just, I mean, I have these conversations when I'm like only at Hampshire you know, and, um, they've, uh, well, I guess this is kind of, this is, they, they've been like, they, they've been making memes, like they make memes of Ed, uh, the president, they make memes of me yeah. and they're, they're really, they're, they're really funny. I mean, and, and they're, they're, I mean, they're a little, sometimes a little off color, but they're, but they're, they're actually, I'm like, oh my God, these things are really funny. And so they, they, um, so they have this kind of depth, like they, they really care about stuff and they know that you know, like, this is a, a bubble, right? They, they yeah. don't have any misgivings yeah. about what's happening, but they have this excitement to take on these really big challenges. But then at the, there's this, again, there's refreshing kind of lightness, um, you know, so it's, it, and I think that's kind of rare. Like you, you don't, I kind of view Hampshire as this kind of hyper intellectual environment. Um, and to have that lightness um, is, doesn't often come with it. Um, and so that to me has been the, the, the fun of it is to, to see that. Um, Cause I'm used to like, you know, deep Hampshire students like coming in with like these very deep <laughs> questions, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and yeah. like we have these like, real conversations but this group is is has the depth but is there's a, a lightness that um i think we all need it i mean not and so not just 
you know, like we, the administration, the students. And um, so, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Well, you've not only come through the other side of the pandemic, but you've also bounced back from this real significant enrollment challenge. And so that deep breath, I think, is reflected both in terms of passing through this challenge that we've all experienced, but also something that's very, very unique to Hampshire and and has been probably most concerning for faculty and and you know the the staff who support the college. So it's really great to hear that that everything is is on the upswing um, yeah. within within Hampshire. Are you feeling really excited and optimistic about, about the next five to 10 years for the institution. I know one of the things that I've seen is just the fundraising efforts that have been put forth by alumni. There's been a real commitment to coming back and, and making sure that I mean, Hampshire is a special place. It kind of needs to be in the higher education landscape. Um, so that's been encouraging to see what's your general feel about the immediate and, and long-term future of the institution. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's, I'm an admissions person. So like every year is a hard year. And um, so our target this year is 315. And then we have to bring it up to 375 next year. And wow, those are, those are big jumps for, for any, any dean and or vice president. But I really, as I said, I, I'm, I think what we're doing is exciting. Um, And, but more so than exciting, it's important. As you said, like, I think not only does Hampshire need to be here, but I think what we're trying to do to inspire students to, to impact their communities um, is so important. Um, and it's going to be so critical as we continue in these kind of tumultuous political, these tumultuous environmental, these tumultuous racial, as we, you know, better understand the needs of trans LGBTQIA students. I mean, there's there's so many things that we need to do better as a society. Um, and we're not perfect, but we're trying to do better. We're, yeah. we're trying to achieve that. And so, uh, you know, that to me is the importance and the excitement. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually very optimistic. I mean, we've made tremendous strides, as you noted, on the giving and the the admission side, but the curriculum itself, um, to see this curriculum forming that's really addressing where students are and what they need today, that to me is outstanding. And it's it's great because, you know, as you mentioned, it's a place of experimentation and, and you know, that line in the news article is representative. And I think Institutions like Hampshire that are smaller, that can be experimentalists, do create a lot of change for those institutions that are more traditional, that are maybe a little bit more siloed to start to say, hey, is there something we can do that's more flexible? Look what Hampshire's up to. Look what's coming out of this space. And so, you know, higher ed does need to shift. And I think in order for that to happen, you need experimental institutions that are trying new things and welcoming students into an intellectual but fun atmosphere as well. Yeah, and I, I hope they continue to see the fun. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's of really course. It's a great reminder that that's a big part of what college is all about. Um, exactly. So Fumio, I know you and I could talk uh, forever and, you know, we almost got yelled at in the break for, for talking too long, <laughs> but uh, this was a real pleasure. I hope that we have a chance to have you come back on the show sometime soon. Anytime. And again, thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was a real joy. Awesome. All right, folks, when we come back, we'll be talking again about tuition reciprocity agreements. So stick around. (music) 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We are going to stick up in the Northeast. We just had a great conversation with the Dean and, uh, Dean of Admission and Financial Aid at Hampshire College. We're going to stay out in that space and talk to my colleague, Beth Feinberg-Keenan, who is a former financial aid officer at Northeastern University. Hey, Beth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. So let's jump right in because we're talking about tuition reciprocity agreements, and these agreements are not simple. And there are many of them, and they're all a little bit different. So let's just start with the absolute basic fundamental understanding. What is a tuition reciprocity agreement? So a tuition reciprocity agreement is an agreement between typically it's public universities, but you're able to attend um, an out-of-state public institution and you're not going to necessarily be paying what um, non-residents pay. I mean, that's pretty cut and dry of like what it is. Okay. Gotcha. So there are a lot of students who want to look out of state. I think maybe they say most of the students in my high school are going to this university. And so I'm going to go elsewhere, but I want to be close to home. And of course I want to lean on one of these agreements so I can get a a cheaper experience overall. Um, What are the programs out there that allow students to pay in-state prices for an out-of-state school? So there's four major um, programs and it's really broken down geographically. So if you live in kind of picture a map of the United States and you live in the Southeast. Uh, You have the academic common market and that is 15 participating states in the Southeast. Um, Some states that do not participate are North Carolina, Florida, and Texas 
only participate for graduate programs. Okay. But this is the kicker. So you can't say, hey, like I live in South Carolina and I really want to go to school in Tennessee because I've always wanted to go to the University of Tennessee because you're not necessarily going to qualify and get um, in-state tuition or, you know, you're going to get a discount because you want to go to the University of Tennessee. The kicker is, is you actually have to go to a school that provides a major that's not offered in your state. Mm, so okay. I was just looking around last night on the site saying, okay, like, let me just play around. And I just used South Carolina. And I said, Hey, I want to study zoology. Where can I go and get mm-hmm. a zoology, a bachelor's in zoology? And so the only option for me to do that was going to be the university of Oklahoma. So while you have all of these States in the, in the Southeast, you have, you know, Alabama, you have Louisiana, Tennessee. I can't go to Tennessee. So I'm not going to get a discount there. Gotcha. I was stuck with, you know, that I could only go to the university of Oklahoma, but they have a great tool on their website. And that's what I really liked. I can say, Hey, what state I'm from, what I want to study. And it's going to provide me a list of schools to see what I, what's going to meet my qualifications of what I want to study. Okay. So that's the academic common market and they that's have a website it. where you can go punch that stuff in. Exactly. Perfect. Now, if you live in the Northeast, like me, <laughs> you mentioned that. So if you right. live in the Northeast, we have the New England Regional Tuition Break. Mm. And that works very much like the academic common market, but it's the six New England states that participate with this program. Okay. So again, you have to, you, if you want to go to a school outside of your state, that major can't be offered at a public institution in your state. Um, unlike the academic common market, they don't have a nice little tool that you can say, hey, I'm from this state and I want to study that. But they have brochures and they have documents on their site, which say what schools and what majors you can actually um, attend to get that, that, to get that degree. And depending on like where you live in the state, there are some states that have relationships with colleges because of proximity. Mm -hmm. Um, I live in, I live in Massachusetts by Foxborough. And I know that some of my friends who live in Rhode Island, because I'm only 10 minutes from Rhode Island, they are able to go to Bristol Community College in Massachusetts because they're just right over the border and they're mm-hmm. paying what in they're paying what residents pay okay. in Massachusetts. So, so there might be some, but it's only for commuter students too. It's not like I want to go to like that four-year public institution because I live closer by. It's I want to be able to commute to that school. I understand. Because it's gonna be less expensive. Okay. So that covers New England. That covers where New England. Are we, where else are we looking for these? Uh, the Midwest. The Midwest, uh, so big space. The, Mid- <laughs> the Midwest uh, Student Exchange. Yeah. And that's only eight participating states. Um, okay. So it's not all of the Midwest. Um, Illinois is not one that participates. So that's a big one that you, we might have a lot of listeners who are from Illinois. Yeah. They no longer participate. And that's within the past year or so that they no longer participate. But students who are within the Midwest uh, region, uh, they can go to, again, a public public institution, and they're going to pay 50% more than what residents pay. Okay. So if your cost of attendance is $10,000 because you live in X state as a resident, and I'm coming from another state, then I'm going to be able to pay $15,000 for, for tuition fees. Okay. And that so, will typically be less than the full out-of-state cost of attendance. Yes. And then also a lot of the flagships don't participate. So your University of Michigan doesn't participate. University of Wisconsin-Madison doesn't participate. So it might not be all of the institutions. It might not be some of the more selective institutions. Mm -hmm. 
that you're automatically going to qualify and say, hey, I've always wanted to go to, you know, University of Wisconsin-Madison or University of Michigan as my dream school. You can still apply, but you're not going to get a discount because of where you live within the Midwest. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I think you've named so far <laughs> the 25, 25 states covered by three different programs, and we've left <laughs> some stuff out for sure. What's the last one? Is the last one covered 25 states? Does it fill it all in? I don't think so, right? It doesn't. And it's, it's probably one of the larger ones, the Western Undergraduate Exchange. It's actually, I was going to say, where, where you live, Ian. That's right. The West. That's the right. West. And that, that covers 16 states. Okay. And I find that this is actually a very popular one, especially when I'm having conversations with you know, friends of mine who live in you know, the Western part of you know, the United States. And this is just like the Midwestern one that you're getting 50, you're paying 150% more than what residents pay. So that mm-hmm. same example. But what I have found with the Western undergraduate exchange is it's also not all majors. Mm-hmm. So the Western undergraduate exchange is also known as WUI. And if you go to their website, you can actually do a search and you can see what majors at what schools participate. Like as an example with Arizona, if you want to go to, I think it's the University of Arizona, it's like you want to study, you have to study mining. Okay, well, most students I speak with aren't going to study mining. Yeah. I don't so, think so they're not necessarily going to be able to get a discount at, at that institution. Your flagships don't participate, your University of Washington, your UCs, other than UC Merced, um, don't participate, but your Cal States do. Um, so, you want to make sure that, you know, you're looking at what major you want to study and what are the requirements, because I have found also with WUI that it's not automatic. Some schools have a certain number of spaces and mm-hmm. some schools might also have required GPAs that you have to have in order to be on, to be considered to get that discount. And so fundamentally, when you look at all of these programs, what we're kind of seeing as a trend is this is uh, about setting something up partly for institutions so that they can draw more students in that they wouldn't otherwise have access to, which is why your UCs, your universities of Michigan, your university of North Carolina, they're not participating because they have enough students. They don't need to have this incentive for students to potentially choose them. So it's a great program, especially I think if you're looking at, at some of these, you know, not flagship, but you know, next most notable public institutions in many of these states, it's a great way to find this opportunity. You've explained a few ways that families can learn about this, including uh, going to these websites, maybe typing in what states they're in. Are there any other programs that people should be aware of? We've got these big ones, but are there some smaller ones that that everybody can look into as well? There are definitely some smaller ones. If you live in Minnesota, they have reciprocity with some neighboring states. There's the University of Minnesota that students can automatically get considered for discounts if they live in the Dakotas, if they live in Wisconsin, or if they live in Manitoba. And it's something that's automatically considered when they apply to the University of Minnesota, but there's an additional application that they have to get completed by their state, which is on the University of Minnesota's website. Gotcha. Um, The University of Maine is another one. It's been around for a little bit of time, but the University of Maine also has a program that they are allowing discounts to students who meet certain um, GPA requirements because there's three different tiers with the University of Maine. But you know, again, if they want to go to the University of Maine, it's worthwhile checking that out to see if they could get a discount um, at that institution. And then there are those, just a number of neighboring state ones. I mean, just look on, I was going to say, look online to see that if there are any neighboring, you know, any neighboring state discounts, I've seen them in the Southeast between Georgia and between some of the states, you know, in that territory. 
Um, I've also seen them down in like Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas, which are more for the community college, but again, another great opportunity if that's the route that the student wants to go. Great reminders there. Now, within our internal team chat, we uh, recently posted a news item about new programming in New York. And because it's such a big state with so many students who live there, uh, what can you tell us about this new New York program with the State University of New York system, the SUNY system? So again, it is a new program. It's starting just with the fall of 2023, that class, but you have to be from a group of states. So if you live in Connecticut, if you live in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, California, and New Hampshire, Vermont, and Illinois, um, you can get Hmm. not in-state tuition, but you're paying what your state's tuition is based on your flagship institution. So Massachusetts University, Massachusetts Amherst, Connecticut University of Connecticut stores, Mm -hmm. and you would be automatically considered for that if you're coming from one of those states. Interesting. So creating a little bit of mobility flow of students from different states into New York sounds like a a smart strategy for the SUNY system. Um, We really went through that really quickly. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to catch up on a a Q&A. And and listeners, if you've got any follow-up questions, please feel free uh, to send them to our inbox, gettinginvoiceamerica at gmail.com. Beth, thanks a lot for coming and explaining these, uh, giving us that crash course today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ian, for having me. Happy to have you. Folks, when we come back next week, Sally will be in the hosting chair. She's going to be talking to the Director of International Admissions at Boston University to talk about what's new at BU. So that's a really exciting segment. You won't want to miss it. We'll also talk about what to do now that early decisions are starting to come out. Uh, So join us for that if you've got any ED applications and federal student loan repayment options and updates. There is constant change on this news item and our college finance team is the best at helping you to understand where things are going. So we'll see you all here next week. In the meantime, enjoy this final month of 2022. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.